RTL Original Podcast. Welcome to DNA, the Luxembourg Crime Podcast. Christian Heiser, 21 years old, a Luxembourgish student studying in Brussels, was found dead in her studio on the 12th of November 1992. Police ruled it a homicide, but now, almost 30 years later, despite lengthy investigations that have led to several potential suspects, no one has been convicted of Christian's murder. Was it premeditated murder or an accident? Was it a burglary gone bad? Or was Christian simply at the wrong place at the wrong time? Christian Heiser was born on the 3rd of June 1971 in Esch. She lived in Futs with her two parents, Denise and Robbie, and her younger brother, Claude. Christian Heiser was a very positive and energetic child, her parents and brother would later go on to say, who loved to live, enjoy life, and had a really funny character. She was fairly tall, had light brown hair to her shoulders, and pictures of her always showed a big, warm smile. At the age of 19, Christian went on exchange to the US, living with a host family and attending a local school there. This is also where she graduated and received her high school diploma. Upon her return to Luxembourg, she considered starting her studies in Scotland and was accepted to the University of St Andrews, a seaside town northeast of Edinburgh. But for some reason unknown to this day, she decided not to go. Maybe St Andrews was just too far away and required extensive travelling and the financial means for tickets to get back to Luxembourg to see her family. Meanwhile, most of Christian's friends went on to study in Brussels. This could have convinced her to do the same. As a matter of fact, her parents were quite happy about her choice to study closer to home, as Brussels is only a two and a half hour drive from Luxembourg. In the autumn of 1992, Christian moved to Brussels and began studies in economics. Finding a place to live was a bit of a challenge, as Christian's rehousing to the Belgian capital was rather last minute. Together with her parents, Denise and Robbie, she found a one-room apartment, or studio, equipped with a private bathroom and kitchen, via an agency on the campus of the Université Libre de Bruxelles, room 1318. The previous tenant had indicated she no longer wanted to live there, and had thus moved out. The building complex also housed other Luxembourgish students, so to Christian it would be like a family away from home. In the following weeks, Christian attended class like usual and liked to spend a lot of time alone. People that knew her would go on to say that she was a discreet resident, introverted and sometimes even seemed a little distanced and cold. 
She had a couple of friends, but was not the popular type amongst the Luxembourgish student community that would be present at every social gathering or event, for example. In fact, within a few weeks of moving into the apartment, Christiane told her parents that the building's residents were a little bit too noisy for her, it was distracting and uncomfortable, and that as of next year she would be looking to move out and find another place to stay. Now, in the following segment, let's summarize the days leading up to Christiane's death. On Sunday the 8th of November 1992, after spending the weekend with her parents in Foots, Christiane prepared for her journey back to Brussels. She carpooled with two friends and notified her parents upon arrival. The trip was uneventful. The following morning, on Monday the 9th of November, Christiane attended courses as usual. In the afternoon she met up with a friend. We do not have a name of this friend, but she would go on to become the last person to see Christiane alive. They parted ways at 6pm on that Monday, and the friend, who lived in a different apartment block than Christiane, went home. It is assumed that Christiane returned to her studio as well. On Tuesday, the 10th of November, Christiane was not present in class, but no one really noticed. The groups were large, and with everyone being rather new, it's understandable for classmates not to recognise every face yet, let alone recognise individuals and their peers not present in class. Apparently, on Monday, Christiane had told her friend that she didn't feel too well, so her friend would most likely have thought that she took the day off to recover. The following day, Wednesday the 11th of November, was a Belgian national holiday, which is Remembrance Day in Belgium, and there are no classes. Then on Thursday, the 12th of November, three days after she was last seen, the friend noticed her absence in class yet again. She went upstairs to knock on Christiane's door, but there was no response, so she slipped a note under the door with a message along the lines of, Christiane, I haven't heard from you. I'm worried. Please notify me. The friend returned in the afternoon, tried knocking on the door again, to no avail. Newspapers report that a group of acquaintances informed Brussels police of the situation. Assisted by the concierge of the apartment block and the firefighters of a nearby barracks, the police only managed to enter the apartment after having forced down the outside door which had been locked. Around 12.45pm on Thursday, upon entry into the studio, they came across a horrific scene. There was a large quantity of blood on the floor. The bathroom door was locked, and this one had to be broken down too. Clearly someone had used Christiane's keys, or a key that fit both doors, to lock both the bathroom door and the outside door of the studio, and then block the entrance from the inside. Upon entry, they found Christiane lying in the shower, covered in blood and in a state of undress, with a plastic bag over her head. She was found to have suffered a total of 33 stab wounds caused by a kitchen knife. Cuts were found on the left wrist, right forearm, both ears and left eye. No sexual violence appeared to have been inflicted on the victim. Those are the main details we know of the crime scene. There are some further details mentioned in some newspaper articles, 
such as the fact that Christiane was found with the initials CH carved into her skin, but this has not been confirmed. Police were quick to put the building's security into question, because it turned out that anyone could enter the apartment complex right up to the front door of these individual apartments. There would most likely have been a lot of traffic in these corridors, students leaving for class, students returning home, maybe there were visits from friends and family. Based on preliminary investigations, police came up with four possible explanations for the killing. The first possible explanation was an apparent beggar that had slept in the corridor. What led investigators to take a sample of his DNA was that he was carrying snippets of newspaper articles about Christian's murder. And despite Robbie and Denise's persistence to have this man interrogated, police could not find any proof of his involvement, apart from a possible obsession or simple interest with collecting these articles. Moreover, the DNA of this man did not match the DNA found on Christiane. The second possible explanation was a burglary gone bad. Could Christiane have been at the wrong place at the wrong time? Now, what may have pointed to this latter theory was that money from her wallet, along with keys to her car, her room and her parents' house, were missing. Maybe the burglar attempted to break in, thought that the room would be empty, found out there was a person inside, and then killed her. But it seems rather unlikely, because you'd imagine a burglar to first knock on the door, check if someone's at home, or just flee if upon entry you notice that someone has been there all along. Whether Christiane had any items of great value, we do not know. But one would think that a student room is not necessarily the best place to look for valuables. Investigators spoke to all students living in the complex, but no one saw or heard anything. Gerard Flohner, one of Christian's neighbours living in the same corridor, would later tell police that on that Monday he was not home, as he had spent the night somewhere else and returned in the morning. In fact, almost no one living in the corridor was home on Monday evening, as there was a party hosted somewhere off campus. Christiane did not attend. She could have been alone in the complex on that Monday, killed the same night without anybody noticing, and been left alone for three days before she was found. Police, of course, also checked Christiane's circle of family, friends and acquaintances. And Christiane's boyfriend at the time and her ex-boyfriend were also called in, but they were both ruled out. But there could have been a different explanation, and this leads us to the third possible reason. Remember how the room had suddenly become available because the previous tenant did no longer want to live there. What if the killer was looking for the woman living there before, accidentally killed Christiane, who had only moved in several weeks earlier into room 1318? Could this have been a drug-related crime? Somebody owing someone else money? However, these theories did not gain much traction, but police came up with another possible suspect, and it's the story of Christian H. And this following part may be a bit difficult to understand because Christian, the victim, and Christian H, the suspect, have similar names and they even share the same initials.
1993, eight months after the death of Christiane, a girl called Inge Waterloos was killed in a similar attack in Leuven, which is a 30-minute drive from Brussels. Christian H. would later confess to the murder. And the similarities between both cases are extraordinary, and it may well be that Inge's murderer and Christian's murderer are the same person. Now, six weeks prior to Christian's death, Christian H. was randomly stopped by Belgian police in Ghent. In the car they found chains and handcuffs. He was sent off to a mental hospital, but was granted permission throughout the day to continue following his studies. Christian H. was unemployed at the time and wanted to work in construction, so it seemed like he was at the hospital at night but could walk out during the day, follow his courses and have to sign back in upon return. Police searched his room and came across an item of interest. Christian H. had compiled a document with a newspaper snippet titled Girls Hunt. In this document, he detailed how he was hunting girls, what he'd do to them, how he'd kill them, and how he'd make sure there'd be no evidence. The modus operandi of Christian's murder matched his. Furthermore, on the 10th of November, he did not attend his classes, the same day that Christian went missing. This could be a mere coincidence, or it can indicate some sort of involvement. Police would then later find out that Christian H. was indeed near Brussels on the evening of Christian's death. But there was another strange event. Christian and Christian H. may have met each other prior to the murder. One day, Christian and a friend were driving their car, leaving Brussels, and were stopped by a police officer for apparent speeding. The officer asked both of them to step out of the car and show their papers. Now, the reason why this matters is because later, investigators found fake police IDs in Christian H.'s room. So it could be, although this has never been confirmed, that Christian H. may have been that fake police officer. This would indicate that he was stalking and tracking his victims like a predator. Whatever he was doing, he had an eye on Christian Heiser. But despite thorough questioning and a DNA test, police could not charge Christian H. with the murder of Christian. The DNA did not match. DNA and fingerprints were taken from Christian's room and were later compared to perpetrators in European databases, but without any results. Could this point towards an individual not known to authorities? A first-time criminal? Christian was found in the shower. Maybe the murderer attempted to wash off the evidence. To this day, the family and their lawyer are convinced Christian H. is the murderer. When police found those fake police IDs, they also located pictures and addresses of young women. But Christian's photo and address was never a part of that list. Christian H., even though he was found guilty for the death of Inge, was deemed unfit to stand trial and interned at a mental hospital. Today he remains locked up in a psychiatric institute in Leuven. It's a roller coaster ride of feelings and emotions. Whenever a murder case is solved in Belgium, the dossier of Christian Heiser is reopened. This was also the case in the year 2000, when Raphael Vink was arrested. He had killed a 22 year old French nursing student in her campus room in a different city, Tournai, which is about a one hour and 15 minute drive from Brussels. 
He had confirmed to have been living near Brussels until two to three months after Christian was murdered. Over the course of the next years, two serial killers were also thought to have been connected and became possible suspects, Ronald Janssen as well as Michel Fournieri, who both raped and killed numerous individuals. But again, their DNA did not match. At the end of the day, there were many tracks, but all led police investigators to a dead end. But then, in the year of 2000, something unimaginable occurred. The materials located in Christian H.'s room, this book with pictures and addresses, the evidence, disappeared. Newspapers called it a scandal, and potential evidence destroyed. Christian's lawyer said that he was stupefied and shocked to find out that the Brussels court had ordered the destruction of the files. To this day, nobody knows who gave that order. And one would imagine that a crime case is stored until the crime is solved. But in an interview with RTL, the spokesperson of the public prosecutor said that all possible routes were explored, but the judge could not find anyone guilty. The parents, Denise and Robbie, feel that they are not being taken seriously, that there is no support from the authorities. We've always felt like we're with our backs to the wall, said Denise. But hope remains. There have been times when they attempted to close the chapter, but then a new case would pop up and the investigation continues. There is no closure of this horrific chapter in their lives. Denise says, Christiane doesn't want us to stop looking for the truth. And that's all we can tell you about the Christian case for now, which until this day remains unsolved. Thanks for listening and see you soon. Thank you.